Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight up screamer. Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you. Tuesday the 24th of May and uh, this morning we've got uh, cricket with uh, Gary Stead. We're going to catch up uh, after the fourth day of the match uh, against Sussex was rained out. What did they actually get out of that match? Uh, is he happy with the, the build-up this far? Uh, just after 10 o'clock we'll be talking to Justin Nelson who's a basketball commentator of course. Uh, look at uh, the NZNBL, the Sal's NZBL, NBL, uh, round four, uh, the NBA playoffs. Man, what an interesting stage they're at and even home advantage doesn't seem to matter too much in this series. So uh, where is it going to all end up? Lavina Good and Mark Watson, the panel this morning, lots to talk about including rugby league, golf, netball. And, of course, the All Blacks, as we do every day. Uh, Nico Porteous, just after 11 o'clock. Now, Nico, of course, uh, is our uh, Winter Olympics hero. Uh, but, of course, he's had a bad injury. So where is he at after surgery uh, post-Beijing? Uh, we'll also have a Mount Rushmore for you today. Now, here's something for you to get your teeth into. And uh, our text line is double eight double three, of course, double eight double three. Or you can call us just after 9.30 on 0800 150 811. 0800 You'll be in the draw uh, to win a, a chemist warehouse voucher for 50 bucks. So uh, please uh, get on the phone, 0800 150 Subjects for today could be our Mount Rushmore one. Four greatest jockeys of all time in your mind. The four greatest jockeys and why. Four greatest jockeys, we're into that. Um, we could also be talking about... Uh, you're an all-black captain, and why? You're all-black captain, why would you pick him uh, as all-black captain? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, and also, of course, uh, we could talk about uh, the Black Caps. We're about to talk to Gary Stead. The Black Caps, how do you think that series is going to go? Stead v McCullum, New Zealand versus England. Uh, how do you think that series is going to go, that first test match starting at Lords on June the 2nd? The Black Caps uh, tour of England continues. Uh, of course, they've had uh, bad luck with the weather in Hove, but they head off to uh, Chelmsford uh, for a match uh, in about uh, 48 hours against the County Select 11. Joined by head coach uh, Gary Stead this morning as we reflect on what was, uh, they were able to achieve there. Steady, good morning to you, New Zealand time. Good evening, England time. Yeah, good morning, Smithy. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. Frustrating, I suppose. I mean, you get limited opportunities uh, to prepare for a test series on grass and you lose two of the four days. What were you able to uh, achieve in that time? 
Oh, it was great for us to still have, I guess, a day of batting and uh, to actually bowl the team out as well. Um, so Sussex, whilst they had a reasonably, I guess, young-looking side against us, um, to take 10 wickets on a on a very flat hove wicket was still really encouraging. And for us, it was really about getting those competitive juices back and running, but also spending time on our feet. And, um, yeah, while, whilst not ideal to, to miss a couple of innings, to still get what we did is, has been a lot better than what we've had in the past in terms of COVID times and in terms of warm-up games. Let's look at the performance then. Uh, everyone getting a relatively good workout, uh, including Ajaz Patel, who got uh, 20 overs uh, under the belt there. What did he look like, Ajaz? Yeah, not bad. Um, he, he got a little bit of tap just at the end of the um, innings when the tail enders were having a bit of a, a nudge at him but no it was great, uh, Ajaz was getting great I guess drift on the ball and it wasn't a really responsive pitch but um, I, I guess here when you look at the pitches and what they're like then uh, I think we believe it's it's likely that the spin will play quite a big part and so we, we need to make sure that Ajaz is nice and ready for us. Well it will be too I mean the other characteristic for people that don't know a, a little bit about Hove, there is a slope involved there. But there's also a, a slope of sorts, of course, at Lords as well. When you look at bowling, perhaps from the nursery end, where Ajaz is a left-arm spinner, turning the ball down the hill, etc. Uh, so that's obviously something you've got to consider. Yeah, definitely. And, and we also played there, remember, a, a year or so ago. And um, whilst we had a day uh, washed out, it was quite dry conditions as well. So... Providing we turn up and we and we get some somewhat of what we um, expect to get, then then I, I think spin will play a part and and probably play a part through the series. The Seamers uh, led by Matt Henry. Um, how did they adjust with the the Duke ball on on a in a match situation? Yeah, there's been a little bit of talk over here about the Duke's ball and um, the the batch of balls they've got in 2022 not quite being as effective as what it has in the past, but. We still managed to get the ball to, to swing, um, not appreciably, but still enough. And uh, no, it was great. I mean, Kyle Jameson didn't get the, the rewards, but certainly went past the bat on a number of occasions and looked somewhere back to, to where he's been in the past as well. And that was encouraging. Matt Henry and Jacob Duffy bowled, bowled really well and backed up by Colin de Grandhome and, uh, and then, then the overs of, of obviously Ajaz Patel and, and Michael Bracewell as well. Well, that Grondheim is an interesting factor if, you, if you're looking at the balance of the side. Uh, for him to get overs under his belt, uh, we saw how effective he was on that Lord's pitch way, way back in the World Cup um, final, of course, uh, where he bowled that nagging sort of length there. I mean, uh, he's, a, he's a, a huge option for you, isn't he? And particularly with that county experience he's just been having. Yeah, I think so. And um, I mean, he's had he's had a number of county experiences now. And um, one thing we just need to want, want want to do with Colin is make sure that his bowling, I guess, loading and, and intensity is where it needs to be. And he uh, he's been working hard. Him coming over here to Surrey on a on a short term basis of three games was really important, I think, in the build up for him as well. And he's looking fit, and and that's that's great for for us and for Colin as well. Okay, let's look at uh, the batting side of things. Pretty pleasing there. Um, you know, able to get uh, four guys with half centuries under their belt, so time in the middle. Yeah, I mean, it was set up um, brilliantly by Tom Latham and Will Young, who, who batted us through that first session. And um, I guess we, we took that opportunity, I get to, to look at batting for the day, essentially. Um, 
and also just getting that time in the middle for guys and um, for those that, that I guess ha haven't played a lot of cricket, when you start there's always that anxieties of getting that first lot of runs under your belt and spending that time in the middle and for most of our guys to spend 80 to 100 balls or even a few more was, was really important to us. Michael Bracewell uh, looked pretty good. Looked very good. Um, he certainly made every post a winner from from our perspective and in, in all forms of the game at the moment. And um, yeah, really liked what we saw with the bat, but also with the ball as well. He, he looks dangerous and is still somewhat, I guess, uh, of a novice when it comes to developing his spin bowling. But has certainly come on and leaps and bounds in the last couple of years. Um, now the the other one to to look at, of course, is uh, Tom Blundell. And still the quandary in terms of balance to the side, six or seven. Uh, have, have you made a decision on where you're looking there, or, or is that very much conditions, conditions driven? Uh, I th yeah, I think I think Tom's likely to bat at six for us. Um, uh, if if you decided to go in, I guess with six six straight batsmen and only four bowlers, and it might change. But it hasn't been the way that we've done it over the last few years, and I I, I don't think it's likely that we would again. But Tom Blundell batted really well. His his intent was up, and he and he looked good. And that that's what we're asking him to do is to to be able to read the situation, and actually put some pressure back on the on the opposition at times. And um, yeah, it was pleasing. I think Smithy in that last uh, session that we scored a, a good lot of runs when the I guess the bowlers were faltering a wee bit. And sometimes I guess in test matches you've got to look for those opportunities to to push the the button, push the boundaries a bit harder, and, and Tom has the ability to do that for us. Henry Nichols is the downside of things. Uh, what's the the, uh, the status on Henry at the moment? Yeah, it's it's disappointing that um, he obviously had a bit of a calf niggle and wasn't going to play a, a part in this game. But then um, in coming over here is one of three guys that actually have picked up COVID, unfortunately, as well. So um, those guys are still in isolation for uh, another two days. Uh so they're getting to the the back end of it now, but then when we get them out again, then then I guess we'll get them into into up to speed and see where he's at and whether he's a chance for that first test. So I think this has probably just put things backwards slightly. Um, but again, until we get him out and, and get him running again, we don't know. Right. Let's look at uh, what's coming up then. Um, prior to the test, you're playing a county select eleven. Uh, against a, a lot of players, I guess you know absolutely nothing about, and that's uh, what it chums for Essex. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, um, England put their County Eleven side out today. There are some names that we are familiar with: Ollie Robinson and Dom Sibley, for example. Uh, and I guess they've really looked at players who aren't in the T20 blast, who are re really Red Bull specialists. And I think that's a good thing for us because it'll be a it'll be a competitive game and. Um, we've got, obviously got some IPL guys that are entering back into the team in the next 48 hours. Um, and so for us to be able to give them a little bit of practice time and then also get them into the game as well will be something we'll be, we'll be hoping to do with all of them. OK, well, they include, uh, of course, Tim Southey coming back into the mix, uh, uh, Daryl Mitchell. But one player who won't be there uh, is Trent Bolt because he's clearly still involved in uh, the IPL playoffs. How are you going to manage Trent Bolt coming back in? Yeah, we just have to, I guess, wait and see a little bit um, as to when he comes exactly. So 
Uh, I imagine within sort of 12 hours of their last game at Rajasthan, Trent will be on the plane and, and heading over here. If it's the final and that's played on the 29th, it's going to cut things pretty tight for us for that first test. But again, we'll wait and see how that, that plays out at the time. Um, we're always conscious. I mean, it's not quite as bad as being in New Zealand, but there's still, a, I guess, that jet lag factor that you just have to take in and people's readiness to play a test match, which is obviously pretty gruelling on the body at times as well. So there'll be conversations we have with Trent when he gets here. Uh, the elbow, uh, we, that's what we call it over here, the elbow, the Kane Williamson factor. Uh, from our point of view, we've heard nothing of any problems during the IPL, so uh, I guess he, he will be arriving fully fit to go. Yep. Uh, again, Kane's obviously uh, recently had the birth of his, of his second child, so that's fantastic for them. And he'll be over here within 48 hours. And, and yeah, we, I mean, everything that's that's we hope to go to plan through the IPL stage did um, for Kane in terms of his elbow rehabilit- uh, rehab. And so we, we're hoping when he gets here, there's no flare up or anything like that. So we'll just, I guess, manage him back in those next four or five days and, and make sure that he's where he wants to be and in, in, in readiness for that first test. So he'll, he'll be feeling it a wee bit. He hasn't played test cricket for a while now. So, um, and I know how desperate he is to get back in and, and play test cricket. So it's exciting for Kane, exciting for us to have him back as well. And uh, the, the interesting thing uh, that has come through on the England side is that, um, well, uh, when I say interesting, I think it was pretty predictable they'd go for Broad and Anderson, two guys you know very, very well. But they've got uh, a couple of young kids in there that we, we know not much about, and I'm not sure how much scouting you've been able to do on the likes of Harry Brook, uh, an opening batsman uh, from Yorkshire, and Matthew Potts, who's a Durham seamer. Have you been able to do any, hmm. any scoping on them? Yeah, I, I guess the advantage of having guys in, in county cricket is they do get a bit of a read on some of these players coming through, and I think through the analysis systems and that that we have now, then then you can look at and look at patterns of how they do things. But I mean, they're both there, I guess, on their on their current form and and what they've done for for Durham um, and for Yorkshire respectively. So they're obviously obviously very good players, and um, to make the England team, which still looks very strong, um, they're obviously. In, in the in the running to play that first test as well, so we'll do do our due diligence uh, around the scouting and, and make sure that yeah that we're on top of, of anything that we need to know. Gary, how do you? I mean, it's all very well to have these these games with with, with uh, the build up factor in mind, the match practice factor in mind. But how do you how do you get the guys uh, back into a competitive edge? Because we all know what the feeling like is that on the first morning of any test, but. Uh, the first morning of any test at Lords is actually something different. You can get that, that almost that wow factor as a player, and then that you sort of lose. You haven't got that competitive edge. How do you get them competitive for that first ball that morning? Yeah, I think one of the advantages is it's at Lords, and and I think anyone that goes there and you walk through, I guess, the long room and up into your dressing room and have a look at some of the great names that are on the honours board there, then it. it I guess gives that little bit of a wow factor also of, hey, I'd, I'd love to have my name up there. And we're lucky enough in New Zealand, there are a few Kiwi names up there. And, and I know Devin Conway, for example, who got 200 on debut, would, would love to do that again. Um, so I don't think it's going to be an issue having people up and ready in that competitive state. Uh, that's part of what these warm-up games are, are about. And, and there's nothing like, I guess, that competition in the middle of out means out. Um, as opposed to being in the nets, which is just 
I guess, slightly different. So we try and keep things as real as we can, but there's nothing like actually having match practice. You know Brendan McCullum. I know Brendan McCullum. New Zealanders know Brendan McCullum. Brendan McCullum on the morning of a, of a match when he was a, uh, a New Zealander as such, was quite a chatty, social sort of a bloke. Uh, he didn't mind getting around, shaking a few hands and, and uh, giving uh, the obligatory good mornings. How are you going to play it? Hey, how, how's Gary Stead going to play it with Brendan McCullum that first morning in Lords? I, I don't expect that to be any different, to be honest, Smithy. I, I think um, I think Brendan and I will still have a chat and, and shake hands and wish each other well. But, um, yeah, but once we get started, we'll, we'll be trying like anything to get one up over each other from a player's point of view. But at the end of the day, it's it's not... Gary Steph versus Brendan McCullum. It's the players versus players out there. So, all we can all we can do is prepare the teams as best we can, and then hopefully there there might be times in the match where you you can assist with some thoughts uh, around how the how the game should go. But at the end of the day, that that's the captain's decision out on the field. So, if you look at Stokes, the player, McCullum, the player, and now McCullum, the coach. They, they sort of suggest a really come at your approach. You know, they, they really uh, get on the front foot. Is, is that what you're expecting? Combination, that kind of approach towards you? Yeah, I do. I, I expect that. Um, I think any time you get a new captain coach sort of relationship, then you you'll have some immediate, I guess, uh, a, a lift around the group that they'll want to prove something and prove their worth to those people as well. And I expect that'll happen with England and. Look, look. I guess no closer than Anderson and Broad, who will, um, I think, want to to prove their worth as well as someone. There's two players that have been dropped recently who have an, an amazing Test record. So, it's going to be competitive. We have absolutely no no doubts about that. Um, I, I think it's going to be this first Test in particular is going to be one where it could be a, a who can hold their who can hold their nerve for long enough and. Uh, I think it's still about playing good cricket. I, I expect I expect Brendan and and uh, Ben have played enough cricket though as well that they'll know that it can't be just crash and bash the whole time. That it, there's I guess a balance to playing Test cricket. Well, Gary, uh, I look forward to really look forward to that first morning at Lords myself. I know you are as well um, uh, in your capacity as coach, but just as a cricket uh, person as well. Uh, hey, look, it's been great chatting to you. Um, good luck. Uh, the most important thing, let's hope you get some fine weather in Essex, eh, so you can uh, get what you want out of that game. And uh, all going forward, uh, we're right behind you, mate. Can't wait for the big ones to start. Thank you. Thanks, Smithy. Cheers, mate. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 9.25 here on SENZ. You're just listening into uh, what Gary Stead had to say there. So if you've got any comments on that, 0800 150811. 0800 Just after 9.30 this morning, we'll be giving away a chemist warehouse voucher for 50 bucks for our call of the morning. Subjects uh, could be that. Uh, looking forward to that uh, test match. What is your lineup? Bearing in mind that uh, Henry Nichols will probably be out. Uh, are they going to put a spinner and are they going to play Ajaz Patel? It sounded promising, didn't it, that uh, they were looking to get him involved. So uh, what would your line-up be? Uh, any of you cricket fans out there? Uh, rugby fans, of course, uh, and uh, that's saying you can't be a cricket fan and a rugby fan, but All Black captain, who's your run-on All Black captain? First test against Ireland, not that far away, and why? Uh, I'd love to hear from you there. And if it's not Sam Kane, why? If it is Artie Savia, why? If it's someone else, is it Aaron Smith, why? Uh, love to hear from you there. Have a chat about it. Uh, also, there's uh, other issues that we can uh, perhaps talk about, including 
if you, uh, what's your breaking point? That's a good one, actually. What's your breaking point for the Warriors? What is your breaking point for the Warriors? Uh, so um, how many losses can you take before you absolutely, as an, uh, an ardent, avid fan, uh, when, is a, when is it that you walk away? Love to take your calls on that just after 9.30 this morning. Um, so we've got a text just coming from James Smithy. I'm not sure if Artie Savia is the man for the captaincy. When he played alongside the, against the Crusaders, had to run to the sideline to get a message from the coaches on what to do. For me, that's not someone who is comfortable in making decisions in crunch moments. James, I totally agree with you. That was an absolute, not a farcical situation, but quite unusual to see. And Corey Jane was involved in that, having to run out instructions as well. Uh, this was the uh, time when uh, the Hurricanes could have kicked for goal and tied the game up or gone for the corner uh, and try to win the game outright. Of course, we all know what happened. There was um, conjecture over the line-out steal or the interference in the line-out from Scott Barrett. Hurricanes complained. Adi Savier got in trouble for his comments. Uh, it was all sorts of... Uh, uh, issues around that there but the decision was uh, should they have kicked for goal should they have kicked in the corner or actually whose decision was it and it appeared at the time that Adi Savia didn't make the final call on that even though uh, after the game uh, coach Justin Holland said yep that was Adi's call uh, so interesting there James I see where you're getting at but every time you're a captain every time you, you uh, assume the responsibility you learn something from it I'm pretty sure that Adi Savia would have learned something from that but you've got to have – your starting captain has got to – I'm not necessarily play the full 80 minutes, but he has to be in the run on side. He has to be a guarantee. Quite often we see hookers that are captain. The hookers never play uh, 80 minutes these days. Uh, halfbacks generally are uh, intertwined as well um, with, with their, their mate on the bench. So, mm, and yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. love to hear those uh, phone calls just after 9.30 this morning, not too far away. Another text has come in. If Macca fails, then uh, he can coach the Black Caps as the current coach is average as, as, as he was a player. Uh, Dean, well, interesting that uh, I've got to say, uh, he's been a damn good coach, Gary Stead. I'll argue till the cows come home for that one. What's he done wrong? Um, you know, he's got them through to pretty much every final you can get through to. Um, and, uh, you know... Uh, and New Zealand cricket sides in days gone by would have absolutely crawled over a broken glass to me in that situation. So we, we get the World Test Championship. He's the coach then. We miss out at uh, Lords in 2019. Really? Uh, did we get badly beaten that day? Oh, I don't think so. Beaten by the rules. Uh, and then, of course, the T20 World Cup where uh, Australia, uh, who were clearly superior on the day, just beat us. But uh, he's picked combinations, Gary Stead. He has uh, sorted his way through a few issues and uh, he stayed under the radar the whole time, which for me is the perfection in coaching. The players should always be the dominant factor. So for me, I think Gary Stead's position as the, the Black Caps coach is unquestionable, and I don't think uh, Brendan McCullum would have any designs on that. Uh, and he's got a huge role to play in the next four years anyway, so don't consider Baz anywhere, uh, anywhere near in the near future. Anthony has come in and said... Hi, Smithy. Jockeys. Yeah, this is the other one for the day. This is our Mount Rushmore. Four favourite jockeys or four top jockeys in the history of racing. Uh, so Anthony's come in. Good on you, Anthony. Uh, Darren Beedman. Uh, Hugh Bowman. So two Aussies there. Uh, Frankie Dettori uh, at number two. Lester Piggott uh, at, sorry, Frankie Dettori at three. Lester Piggott at two. Now English-based jockeys. Uh, and the number one guy who had 8,000 winners, can't remember his name. I think you might be talking about Bill Shoemaker. Bill Shoemaker, uh, I think uh, Anthony, he may well be part of mine, he may well not be. 
So that's uh, what we're talking about as well. Text on 8833 uh, and we can uh, take your text on your four favourite or four most famous or best jockeys in the history of racing. 9.31 here on SENZ. Time for Araha and an update. Talkback time with Smithy. Brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800 150 811. 9.33 here on SENZ in the mornings. Yes, it's time to uh, open up the lines. We have done already, and Dean has come through from Dunedin, of course, one of our favourite correspondents. Dino, want to talk about a rugby this morning? Yeah, mate, I do. But, gee, you sort of mentioned my name. We just said Dean, and then you started um, talking about someone's text on Gary Stead. That definitely wasn't me, mate. I've got him down here as the catchphrase on the radio at the moment. It's the old goat. I can't see a coach that's been better than him in New Zealand cricket. Like, he's done... It's not his fault we've had a few decisions go out the wrong way. You just mentioned it, so we won't go on about that. But, yeah, it is the blue. Like, I was so looking forward to the Blues Brumbies, just for me personally to get a, a real gauge on where they're at. I was a little bit disappointed. Injuries and COVID and stuff, the Blues couldn't roll out their, their top side. But I remember ringing you a while back when I went to the Highlanders and I moaned about the pies and, the, you know, just the whole package was terrible because it was a boring old mall feast. Well... The referee, I understand, I, I rang um, Steve Devine and he's a bit more astute than I am and he, he said how he thought the referee got the calls right. He may well have, but it just looked to me like an inexperienced ref for the game that I was so looking forward to. I've never heard of the ref, to be brutally honest, but it, it, it was horrible. Like that, that, was a, that was going everywhere to people that like rugby. And how did you get in behind that? Like I listened to John Kerwin last night on the... Reunion on the old phones. They haven't got Sky in the house, but I bought it on the phone. Didn't know you could do that, so I did that to watch the game. And um, he loved it, and I love his passion. I love his passion. The Blues have won twelve in a row, but Jesus, there was a there was a question there for me for them to, to lose that game and play the Australian side and guarantee a position in the final. Like I heard you say this morning that you see Blues Crusaders a lay down Mazzia. I actually don't. I think now that Tony Brown's gone, they might put. Um, uh, Gilbert back to full battery rightfully should be in my opinion it's only my opinion and, and smarty pants can go 10 and just get us around the track and the, we could be slippery for the Blues up there you know they're going to have everything to lose and we're going to have everything to play for which I really look forward to but the Chiefs for me I, I think if the Highlanders will give them a curry up of nothing else I think the Chiefs will beat them up and then the final will be in um, Canterbury and the Crusaders will well, that'll be an interesting game against the Chiefs, to be fair. They don't, you know, that's always a real battle too. So I think there's a lot to look forward to. But for me, the advert for rugby, the Crusaders the week before in Brumby, in Canberra actually showed you can play good rugby. Mm. The Blues played ball rush. I think Roger looked really, really good to me. I thought he looked, that would probably be one of his better, if we're going to have a crash 12, that would be his better game. But he's not, for me, not at all black level yet. We've got better, Geordie Barrett, at 12 for the Hurricanes, even though he went back to fullback, that try he scored is, it's my Anonu like, you know. I mean, I've, I've harped on, I'd like to see him at 13, but looks like Rico's going to be there. Heaven forbid that gives me heartache, but I don't know. I just don't, I don't know. But I love the game that much, Smithy. I was just really disappointed with the spectacle. Take away the Blues' passion, because I get that. I've got that passion too. But did they actually, they might have liked the result. I don't know, I would have. I'd rather play the Australian teams than, uh, 
um, New Zealand teams. And it's going to be hard. It's exciting, and it'll be way better rugby to watch. Dino, always appreciate your comments. Totally agree with you. I know it wouldn't be you talking, uh, texting about Gary Stead like that. Uh, he's a given for me. Uh, don't worry about that. Uh, I think your only problem with Gilbert going back to fullback is I think Gilbert might be um, uh, having some time off. I think his uh, Super Rugby season might be over after the red card at the weekend. So uh, I don't think that, that he'll be there. So uh, they'll have to do without him. But uh, I've never seen an Otago side play poorly at Eden Park. Uh, that's just the way it is up there. They seem to like going all the way up there and spoiling Auckland's party. They've been trying to do it for years, even back to the glory days of the Shield. Uh, Dino, uh, always from Dunedin coming in there. Uh, Chris from Waikato. Good morning to you, Chris. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about the cricket side of things? Yeah, yeah. Um, just uh, with, they're going to, there's 15, uh, what is the 20 there now, and they're going to get get rid of five or to, to put it down to 15, are they? That's correct. The yeah, uh, they leave. Yeah, when they get all their IPL yep. players over there, um, and they'll have a full squad of twenty, they will drop. They have to drop f- uh, five off to get down to fifteen for the three tests. Well, are they going to stay over there playing in counties or clubs and that? Because what happens if they get COVID in the team and they only got six players? Yeah, I think you're dead right, uh, Chris. What will happen is there they'll either be. Um, around the squad, but not officially part of it, so um, oh. they can't war- they can't warm up with them and that sort of thing. But what they they might sprinkle them around to clubs or maybe county cricket. Uh, they they won't oh. send them home because I think that would be pointless. So I think you're right there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. And about the the all back captains. Well, I think because I'm Chiefs, uh, Sam Kane should captain. But if he got injured, I would have. Well. I think the problem, we've got three world-class number seven, Sam Kane, Savia, and Dalton. So Savia isn't a real number eight to me. He, or against the, the, all but the top teams, he's, he's, he, yeah, he's good. But what, what's the point of having someone like, uh, say, picking Peter Gus Sokula, you want a big man running, rampaging off the back of, of the scrum or that, or Satutu and that. Well, I don't think Sevilla's, you know, he's got magnificent leg drive. He's not, he's just a world-class number seven to me. So I either, well, Sal Africa have a growing-up attitude to it. Khaleesi comes off the field with 20 minutes to go, doesn't he? He does, um, yeah. Uh, no, I, no. But again, 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 a, a world, a world cup winner. Yeah, so you could have Sam Kane starting, and then he comes off twenty minutes to go, and well, either Ardy or Dalton comes on. Yeah, I I, I don't mind that uh, con- concept, uh, Chris. But I'll I'll tell you what I worry about there is you've got to have a really good decision maker who is uh, au fait with what's happening in the game in the last 10 minutes, particularly in World Cup semi-finals and finals. You need a clear decision-making process in the last 15 to 10 minutes of a World Cup classic match. And if, you're, if you've subbed your captain off, who's supposedly your best leader, if you've subbed him off at the 60-minute mark, you've lost that. I mean, if he's your number one leader, your number one decision-maker, and he's gone uh, at the 60-minute mark, you better make damn sure you've got a very, very good vice captain there ready to take over. 
because decision making often is the difference in those games. Chris, uh, thanks. Appreciate your call there. Uh, Bruce from Christchurch. G'day, Bruce. How are you? Maybe I'm very well, sir. <clears throat> Look, um, there's only one choice. I believe um, they need to name the captain just for the Irish series. That's all that matters. Um, concentrate on the now. I don't even want to look at and think about the World Cup or the other uh, tours, whatever going on. Sam Whitelock um, absolutely is a formidable force. Um, he, he's very capable. He's a smart leader. He has done it. He's kept in the All Blacks lots of times. He's the most kept uh, All Black lock of all time. He's kept in the Crusaders to three titles, 217 to 219. Uh, he, he knows, and he's cool under pressure. The Irish team, um, you know, they probably will be up for it. Maybe in the first game they might be a bit behind the, the ball, but, you know, they always come out there with passion. They've got tough players, and White Lockers is a no-brainer for me. Um, so okay, the, uh, I run with that about Sam Whitelock, and I understand your point uh, playing for the now, Bruce. And um, I, I hope you're still on the line there. I just wonder, yep. going forward, Bruce, twelve months time, Sam Whitelock's legs World Cup. What are you thinking? I'm not worried about it right now. Uh, who who can tell, uh, Ian? Who 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 will know? You know. Uh, yeah, you can contemplate lots of. But I would never have a, a captain in the back line. I don't believe it. It's got to be um, uh, in that tight five. Um, I, I don't care about them, and I think we worry about thinking too far ahead. And things has been our our issue lots of times. There's no way Sam Kane okay, Bruce. will be will be fit for the World Cup. So that's that's my point, and that's that's what I say right now. Good on you, Bruce. Appreciate your call. Uh, just time for uh, Chris from Foxen. My old mate Chris from Foxen. And I know you want to talk about jockeys, don't you? Yeah, that's for sure, mate. Yeah. Um, I, I reckon um, Bill Skelton, back in the day, over 2,000 winners. And um, and uh, his brother, Bob, who was the Cups King, mm-hmm. won three Wellington Cups, Auckland Cups, Melbourne Cups. Um, and you couldn't leave out Noel Harris. Also, the Cups King, and right now, Chris Johnson. Um, I've kept it all Kiwis, because most of the Kiwis went to Aussie, and good jockeys over there, too. Um, yeah. Okay. I, I, I don't mind this, this, the Skelton family. Uh, the Skelton family, absolutely fantastic what they've done for racing in New yeah. Zealand. And Bob Skelton, of course, very successful in Australia as well. Have no problem with that. I think David Skelton, too, uh, was uh, son of Bill, who uh, came along and, and rode as well. Very uh, proficient rider. So yeah. if you're looking at family contributions, particularly in New Zealand racing, uh, in the saddle, you couldn't go far past the Skeltons or the Harrises, for that matter. Uh, you're dead right. Uh, also, I, I totally concur with you with Chris Johnson. I think he's got the most uh, winners in New Zealand now. Um, superb rider. But I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to weigh that up against racing around the world. As well, I mean, there's some wonderful Lance O'Sullivan, New Zealand jockeys in the frame. Uh, look at James McDonald now, probably rated as one of the greats of all time as we yeah. speak. 
So, uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I take what, what you're coming from. Uh, Jimmy Cassidy, 100 Group 1 winners. Uh, how do you go past that? Uh, Chris, absolutely pleasure to hear from you uh, again this morning, taking all those nominations on board. Uh, and uh, one of you guys uh, that have called this morning, thanks very much to everyone that did. Uh, you will be in line to win that Chemist Warehouse voucher for 50 bucks. We'll announce that shortly. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. number of texts have come in. Uh, Smithy Dalton Popoletti is captain and starting seven, uh, best seven in the country, of course. Young enough to lead us for the next two World Cups and is doing a great job at the Blues. That, of course, from who else? Ken. Uh, hi Smithy, I haven't been able to listen live lately, I've been listening to the podcast so I haven't been able to text but I'm back now, my uh, All Blacks captain would be Dalton Popoletti, I think he's the form open side, has been leading the Blues so well this season. The standout comment for me was after a massive defensive game a few weeks back he said, you're not injured on defence, sums up his attitude, get up uh, and make your tackles, he has my vote for captain and that is of course Craig from the Bay of Plenty, nice to have you back Craig. Uh, so, yeah, if, if that is the situation, then there's two big votes there for Dalton Popoletti, who plays at seven, of course. If he plays at seven, Sam Kane probably can't play, can he? So uh, there's your issue. There's your issue. Uh, does your, cap- your captain clearly, clearly has to deserve to be in the starting 15, and clearly, for me, he has to have the ability uh, and the desire to play the full 80 minutes for decision-making time at the crucial times. Um, another text has come into the effect that, look, hey Smithy, in our day we had captain and vice captain and I think the way we sub players now, we need to go back to that system. Call it two captains if you like. Uh, mine would be Bodie and Artie. They spend a lot of time uh, on the field. Cheers, Dave from Karaka. Uh, that's absolutely right, Dave. Uh, they do spend a lot of time on the field. Um, Bodie Barrett, very good decision maker. Uh, Artie Savia. Very good leader, uh, and I, I totally agree that it's not a bad combination to have, actually. I think Bowden Barrett's at a mature stage of his career now where the, the, slightly, uh, the slightly impetuous Bowden Barrett we used to see is long gone, uh, and I, I certainly you know, he, he makes very clear decisions and is sort of, you can see, he's he sort, of, uh, sort of after on the field of play. You can see that from captains, whatever team he plays in. He's always around when the decisions are being made anyway, so I don't uh, have uh, too much of an issue, uh, to be fair, with uh, Bowden Barrett being part of the leadership group on the field. Uh, I think that's a good choice, and at the moment, uh, he clearly is the, the starting number 10. Uh, we uh, have a couple of texts in as well about uh, the jockeys. Uh, Dave has come in and said, Frankie DeTore, ridden all around the world. Sam Spratt, more group ones in the world for a woman. Opie Vossen just keeps on keeping on. Jimmy Cassidy rode Kiwi from last on the turn in the Melbourne Cup. Uh, my first ever bet paid $5.25. Gave the man $2 to go to the TAB for me. So that's interesting. Dave, uh, thanks very much for your text there. Two captains for uh, the future, Scott Barrett and Dalton Papaletti for now until 2023. Aaron Smith is our man. He's got respect from his teammates and opponents. Uh, forget that toilet thing. That was uh, just a, a little blip on the radar so we can't not have him being the all-black captain for that little indiscretion. So there you go. Uh, that text coming in as well. Um, and uh, we've got other ones to read out uh, in the next hour at the moment, though. It's uh, 9.53 here on SCNZ. Just time for a multi before 10 o'clock. You got to know when to hold 
Smithy's Multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, yesterday Dallas Mavericks got uh, fixed up by Golden State Warriors. They did a job on them and uh, they now lead that uh, series by 3-0. And uh, no side comes back from 3-0, do they? Not in the NBA playoffs. So it looks like Golden State through to the NBA playoffs finals. Uh, up against who? We don't quite know at this stage. Will it be the Miami Heat? Will it be uh, the Boston Celtics? We shall see another game in that particular series this afternoon. Uh, so we missed out yesterday. So today and tonight, of course, there's a game of rugby tonight. Let's not forget. Moana Pacifica are up against the force tonight. Uh, they'll be playing at Mount Smart. That's at $2.20. I'll take Moana Pacifica for the last hurrah of the season. Uh, second last game, but the last hurrah. And, and I think they'll come good against the force. Boston Celtics to beat Miami today. That's the game we're talking about before, $1.31. And, uh, and the French Tennis Open in the women's side of the draw, Camilla Giorgi to beat uh, Shinai Zhang uh, of China, uh, $1.74. Uh, and that return will be $5.01. Mine Pacifica, Boston Celtics, Camilla Giorgi. That is our multi for today. After uh, the 10 o'clock news, we've got Justin Nelson to talk about basketball in all parts of the globe. you New Zealand for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 10.03 here on SENZ in the mornings and it's time to talk some basketball. Uh, Our Otago Nuggets, the SENZ Otago Nuggets team are currently second on the sales NBL ladder after a solid weekend on the road. Uh, so we're pretty happy about, happy about that around the studio. But uh, across the league, there's been plenty of uh, exciting action uh, and pretty well attended as well. Uh, on top of that, the uh, Tall Blacks have named an ex- extended squad ahead of uh, next month's clash with the Philippines. Of course, World Cup qualifiers, uh, plus the NBA playoffs are getting down to more than the business end. They are almost at the end of one uh, particular park conference final and the other one is still up for grabs. Uh, joining us now to talk uh, basketball, uh, all of those matters, uh, of course, is uh, Hoops Head uh, commentator as well, uh, Justin Nelson, former CEO of the NBL. Uh, th- thanks for joining us, Justin, this morning. Been a busy time for basketball. Hey, Smithy. Yeah, it has, mate. Thanks for having me. It's um, yeah, If you love your hoops, there's a fair bit going on at the moment, both here in New Zealand and, and certainly around the world. It's pretty exciting. Okay, let's look at um, the, the local action first, if we can, uh, Justin. Uh, Auckland Tuatara hit the ground running, of course. They look like uh, they're a pretty well organised uh, franchise, new name, of course. Um, but uh, they they uh, they slipped up uh, against the Bayhawks at the weekend. Uh, that was a thriller, seventy five, seventy four. Yeah, it was. It was a great game. I was out at that game and went right down to the wire. Chris Johnson, who's a star for the Tuatara, uh, kept them in it down the stretch with a, a couple of big triples. And it all came down to a little bit of foul shooting at the end. And uh, and the Hawks got away with what was a very good win on the road. What's been the strength for you in this Tuatara franchise initially anyway? Oh, look, I think the Twin Towers. I mean, Rob Lowe and Chris Johnson are both six foot eleven. incredibly tough to stop. They can step outside and, and hit the three ball. You know, they're very powerful inside the paint and defensively they're solid players as well. And they're good at the pass, you know. They're, they're really good at dishing out the dimes to the guards who uh, sit around the perimeter. So 
They're a tough unit to stop. Dan Fortu comes into that team maybe as early as this Saturday night against the Bulls, and that just takes them to a whole new level. They're an exciting team. Okay, and the Bay Hawks, uh, they lost the first one, first up um, to the Franklin Bulls from memory, but uh, they're now three and two, showing signs of, uh, of improvement. Yeah, they are. Look, there's only one win that separates the top five at the moment and two wins that separate the top eight. So it's an incredibly tough competition that's going to continue to change week in, week out. I mean, you even look at the six games coming up this weekend in the Cells NBL, and man, they are tough to pick winners. Right, let's, uh, we're, we're of course, uh, got a vested interest in uh, the Otago Nuggets, uh, Justin, and they had a slow start the season while they were waiting for players to arrive, except, uh, and, and that wasn't uncommon to a lot of the franchises, actually, but now it looks like everything's sort of coming into place for them. Uh, they had a good weekend, uh, 87-72 over the Jets, 83-66 over the Franklin Bulls. So do they become a contender now? Oh, they're a big contender. There's no question about that. You know, their win over the Bulls was high class, really, really tough, some physical stuff. You know, their three imports are firing. Sam Timmons, very good. And Nico McCulloch, I mean, he absolutely jumped out of the gym uh, in that game against the Bulls and uh, came out firing. And then, I, I, to be honest, I don't think they got out of second gear against the Jets. It was a good way to close out a road double. They head back uh, south. They've got a huge weekend coming up, um, starting with a, a real deep south rivalry uh, clash against the um, against the Southland Sharks. But, look, the Nuggets have got the best starting unit in the competition. Uh, if they can keep their five starters healthy, playing decent minutes, uh, they're going to get the job done. And I think they're going to figure uh, in the final six in a big, big way come August. The Giants took down the Rams at home, 85-77, uh, pretty close for quite some period of time. Uh, I know that uh, you're a big fan of, of Jared West. Uh, we'll get to him very mm. shortly. But how about uh, the influence that Trey Morning is having on, on this particular franchise? Yeah, look, he, he's a class act. I mean, he's scoring big points, doing well off the ball. He brings other players into it. He's a menace. He's really hard to stop. He's not afraid to put the ball on the floor either. Uh, he is all class. Uh, the Giants actually add a third import to their team for this week's game as well. So all of a sudden, everyone's buzzing in Nelson. They've had sold-out crowds for every home game so far, and there's a real genuine anticipation that this could be the year of the Giants. Why is Jared West uh, someone that the kids uh, of tomorrow should be looking up to? What, what, is, what are his attributes? Well, I think he's closer to the ground like most of us are. So, so that certainly helps for those kids with aspirations who may not be, uh, you know, six foot six, six foot seven. Uh, he's, a, he's a six foot guard. Uh, he just has incredible tenacity, high basketball IQ, reads the game really, really well. And he's just nonstop, Smithy. I mean, he, he, he just has this thirst uh, for work rate. He just continues to go, go, go. Um, supports his teammates really, really well, has a good understanding with the coach, Mike Fitchett, um, and he's just a defensive powerhouse. Can shoot, can score, can do all of those things, but he is a tough player to get past. And right now, he's probably the best point guard in the Cells NBL. He's an exciting player to watch. Taranaki is one ninety-seven eighty-six over the Southland Sharks. Anthony Hilliard running hot there. 
yeah, new import into the country, a lot of experience, global player, has uh, been a real traveller around the world, came in, made his uh, mark uh, first up, and great win for the Airs. Um, all of a sudden, the Sharks at 2-4, and four, and they've got a massive game against the Nuggets coming up. Um, a little bit of unfamiliar territory for the Sharks. Great win for the Airs, and that's going to get those locals around that team. Um, now that they've got some imports into that team, they start to toughen up. Uh, I think the airs could be on the rise over the next few weeks. Well, we mentioned that the, the Rams had lost to the Giants, but they did bounce back the next day uh, with a 95-89 win over the uh, the Saints uh, with uh, a new importer, Matua Maka, uh, looking good with uh, 16 points and 14 rebounds. What does his arrival bring to the Canterbury roster? Well, it brings a six foot eleven uh, championship winning uh, player from the Sydney Kings. He's a, a South Sudanese Australian. Um, great athleticism, huge wingspan. Uh, I saw this game on on Sunday. He was the difference. He was definitely the difference down the stretch. Um, looks after the ball, makes good decisions. A terrific inclusion for the Rams. It really strengthens them up. They've got um, well, they've got really good depth. You know, they go eight players deep, maybe even nine players deep now. So. Good addition for the Rams. It was a great win for them. The Saints are zero and four. You talk about unfamiliar territory. Mm. They're right in it at the moment. But, you know, they had one import up against three imports. They do have some good local plays, the Saints. They've got Xavier Cooks coming in. Uh, They're going to strengthen up. I think it'll only take eight wins to make the top six. So if you're a Saints fan, just be calm, be patient. They'll get rolling really, really soon. Justin, you've been uh, associated with uh, the local basketball scene for quite some time and and during this conversation already we've mentioned imports a lot Uh, that's great for the franchises they attract people to come and watch etc because they add to the quality of the game but what about the locals Uh, are we developing uh, we developing local talent the way we should be in your eyes I think we're developing local talent better than ever before Um, you know these imports come in and they help that development Uh, they help boost the league they give the league a real profile but you know, the Australian NBL season just gone had 20 players uh, come out of the cells NBL. Uh, there's no single league in the world that provides more players to the Australian NBL than right here in New Zealand. And a lot of those players are Kiwis on their pathway, you know, stepping stones through the competition here into the Australian NBL and, and maybe onto bigger and better things globally around the world. So I think the development is stronger than ever before. Um, you know, there's there's more than 100 kids, boys and girls, over in collegiate basketball in the U.S. Oh. Uh, we're seeing Dan Fortu come back this week. Uh, so, yeah, the development's better than ever before. What these imports do is they give the league real status. They bring the crowds in. Crowds are bigger and better than ever before. And uh, it does help develop the young talent coming through. I mean, look at Alex McNaught at the Giants now playing alongside Jared West. I mean, Alex McNaught, young guy, really trying to find his feet. He's just gone to a new level, playing beside a quality American this season. That's good news. Uh, there is really good news. And uh, we know that the, the numbers at uh, secondary school level are, are just going through the roof. It's probably the strongest sport in terms of development out of school at the moment. Uh, I think rugby and cricket and those uh, former major sports uh, would be jealous when you look at the numbers uh, wanting to play basketball. But... Uh, of course, it's such a tough pathway, isn't it? You mentioned the leagues around the world, etc., but only a very small percentage, of course, get to, to that point. Well, certainly through to the NBA, yeah, absolutely. 
you know, we're seeing more Kiwis than ever before, as I said, in the Australian NBL. And we're starting to see a lot of Kiwis uh, play in, in Europe and some in Asia now as well, coaches, uh, but also the women's game, you know, the, the new Toihi League that is coming uh, in June this year. That's going to bring a lot of Kiwis home. I, I think, unfortunately, over the years, Smithy, that... You know, New Zealanders haven't really seen how good our women are at basketball because they've had to ply their trade overseas. They're now coming home into this new league with the pay parity and the opportunity to earn some money at home. We're about to see women's basketball explode in this country as well uh, through this competition and the fact that our very best players now have a competition on home soil that they can play in. And that feeds well, of course, into the Tall Blacks, uh, Justin, and uh, just named an extended squad of 33 to face the Philippines and the World Cup Asian qualifier. Uh, what have you made of that squad? Well, I think they named everyone by you and I. Uh, 33 players, um, <laughs> you know, it's a big squad. It's going to come down to 12 uh, for that game against the, the Philippines for the World Cup Asian qualifiers. Uh, 22 players. Uh, out of the cells NBL. So you talk about the development of homegrown players uh, in this competition, 22 players. But some notable absences as well. Ruben Tarangi, uh, Rob Lowe, Izzy Liafa, Ty Webster, Isaac Fortu. So there's a lot more players, you know, depth-wise um, that could make this, comp- uh, this, uh, this squad. I really like what Perro Cameron has done. We're going to see some fresh faces. We're going to see some rising talent. They take on the Philippines. The Kiwis are currently three-zip in that group um, and looking really, really good. And, of course, it leads into the Asia Cup that comes up in July where New Zealand takes on India, Lebanon and Philippines. It's the qualifiers for the World Cup first. We've already made the Asia Cup, but it's a huge few months coming up for the Tall Blacks. Exciting time. Exciting times uh, for them, but exciting times as well for basketball fans because uh, we're at the the crux end of the NBA. Golden State uh, 3-0 up over... Uh, Dallas and the Western Conference, no coming back for Luca and the boys from there, you'd think? I don't think so. Jeez, he's exciting to watch, though, isn't he? I mean, he's just uh, taken the basketball world by storm. I think we all knew already that he was a star, but what he's done through the NBA playoffs is just next level. He's so much fun to watch. But the Warriors, three zip up, as you said, and they'll move on from here. I mean, they're very experienced. You know, Clay Thompson... Um, Steph Curry, uh, Drummond Green, they've all been there before, so they know what they're doing. They'll move on. That'll be a sweep. Uh, it's the other matchup, the other conference final that is really uh, getting a lot of people talking. The Heat getting that win on the road. They're 2-1 up over the Celtics. They go into battle again today. Everyone I know is on the Celtics. The Heat just continue to fly under the radar. And right now, I mean, if they got that game today, uh, they are odds mm. on from here. Yeah, I, it's interesting that I, I really. And the other thing about it is, that every now and then you you, you, thought, you look at home advantage in the playoffs, and you think it's a massive thing, but it hasn't um, it hasn't always been the case, particularly in this series. No, I agree. It hasn't translated. You're right, and you know there's been some blowouts too. It, it seems that when a team you know gets to that fifteen twenty up, uh, you know they've got the foot on the throat. Uh, we've seen, you know, we've seen a few blowouts through uh, through these playoffs. So, look, don't don't count the Celtics out. Uh, they're a very good team. They're incredibly well coached. We know they've got star factor. Uh, are, are they still a big chance? Of course, they're a big chance. But it just surprises mm. me that everyone 
uh, right throughout, to be honest, has, has basically ignored the heat. And all of a sudden now, you know, they're within two games. And if they get today uh, and head home, uh, it's going to be tough for Boston. We're going to continue the basketball theme, of course, uh, tomorrow night with you guys on Hoop Heads. What have you got lined up? <laughs> well, Casey and I never like to give too much away, but uh, there'll be a couple of players joining us. There'll be a mystery tipster, as always, and, and knowing Casey, he'll have some uh, some gems for us throughout the show. It's lighthearted. It's a bit of fun. And if you haven't uh, joined us on Hoop Heads yet, you are missing out. It's... Um, it's an hour of power and fun and laughs, and uh, we enjoy talking hoops. Uh, Sam Brief will be joining us again from Chicago to talk all things NBA as well. We'll know a little bit more about how these playoffs are set up uh, when we head into that show tomorrow night. Yep, all eyes on the NBA, and listen to Hoop Heads tomorrow night on SENZ, folks, 9 o'clock, with Justin Nelson and Casey Frank and guests. Look forward to that, mate. Thanks so much for your input this morning on enlightening us to the local scene. So glad to hear it's in such great shape in your mind. Of course, you've had such a history with it. Thanks for your time. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you. Cheers, uh, Justin Nelson there, folks, uh, with his take on uh, the Sal's NBL and the NBA playoffs. 10.19 here on SENZ Panel Next. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Yes, two very forthright, opinionated people. I'm looking forward to the next 20 minutes on the show with uh, Mark Watson and Lavina Good to uh, join us this morning. Thanks very much uh, to the two of you for doing that. Uh, Lavina, hitting you straight between the eyes here with uh, just a little warmer upper, if you like. Who's your all-black captain? Uh, I, I was sad to see Sam Kane go down with an knee injury because he's from the Bay. He's a Tapuki boy, and I'm, I'm Bay loyal, Bay strong. That's without a doubt. I like the fact he's just 30 years of age and he's um, just had a baby. So he's not a rat bag. He's, he earns the respect in the dressing shed and he might not be a show pony like some people are expecting from an all-black captain. But if he can come through that knee injury and be available in six weeks' time to take on the Irish, then I'm giving him the massive tick. And I know all those southerners will go against me, but if he can earn the respect in the dressing shed, that's all you really need to do to be an all-black captain. So I'm giving Sam Kane the tick. That's from me. Okay, interesting. So you'll upset a few uh, Aucklanders there, I suppose, Lavina. That probably doesn't worry you at all either. But uh, you'd be <laughs> having to do. leave out. You'd be having to leave out Dalton Popoliti to play Sam Kane at seven, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's the decision you have to make. But you pick more than someone in a position just because of their ability with their um, ability to play really good rugby. You need someone who's going to drive a team. Uh, forward and also make sure that they can have those players playing for them and donning a black jersey with pride and that's something that Sam Kane honestly brings to the table and I know he's been plagued with injury over the years and that's something that has been a bane for him but he's just had a baby girl a couple of weeks ago he's very settled and and he wears that black jersey with pride and he'll make sure that the All Blacks play just like he wants to play and that is representing his country and representing the rugby fans out there. So he certainly gets my tick in terms of donning that number seven jersey and also the C beside his name. Okay. Uh, Mark Watson, you've done um, umpteen million hours of talk back from time to time. Uh, it's always been a bone of contention, one of the issues people want to talk about. How about you, the All Black captain? 
Oh, I, I'm with Artie Severe. No, I, I go with Artie Severe at eight. I think we need somebody who's prepared to lead from the front, who says, hey, you go forward, I'm going to set the example. I, I'm just not sure at the moment Sam Kane, in my opinion, is good enough to make this all-black team starting lineup. I'm not sure that um, we've seen this all-black team really perform, even when he's been a core part of it. And, and I know that's harsh because you can't just put it down to one player, but I'm Dalton Papalihi, I'm Ethan Blackadder. I'm very much along the lines of Artie Severe as um, my all-black captain, Sam Whitelock. Um, you know, another one that I guess is probably in the discussion. Uh, but I think first and foremost, I think you pick your best team and then you pick your captain. I sort of understand where Levine is coming from in terms of some of those um, intangibles that can't always be measured by what you do in terms of just ball and hand tackling and, and um, kicking, but... Yeah, look, I think there's. I also think there's real issues with Sam Kane regarding head knocks. Um, he seems to be a little bit more injury prone, and I think we've got to have continuity. And one thing with Artie Severe is we've just seen durability with this guy, and so he's my All Black captain without a doubt. Mark, would you say uh, it looks, for all intents and purposes, Brumbies aside, as if it's uh, going to be New Zealand again? I, I'm predicting Blues Crusaders. Something might happen to upset that apple cart. I don't know. But here's the thing. Overall, if you look at it right, has it been a success, Super Rugby, this season? Oh, I, I, I think the game's in difficulty. I think the game is in trouble. I, I always go back to it and go, how many of these games are appointment viewing for me? Um, and I'd say very, very few. And I think that tends to be the general consensus from a lot of people I speak with. Um, and there's a whole lot of reasons for that. Look, I think it's been great in terms of Moana Pacifica and uh, providing the Polynesian um, players in this country a genuine pathway. Um, I think it's been great again for Fiji and Drua. Um, but yeah, look, I, I, you know, if you go right back to when the inception of Super Rugby back in '96 with the South African sides and the Sharks and the Blues, uh, yeah, look, I think it's a competition that's fallen from grace. Um, but I'm not sure what the solution is. So if you're asking me, has it been a success? Um, uh, compared to what's happened in the past, probably not. Uh, compared to what we've seen over the last two years, look, it has been a success. I, I think it's a product that's probably having to rebuild. Um, but look, oh, you know, I don't think it's. A, I don't think New Zealand rugby helped themselves when they're pulling All Blacks out for rest weeks. Um, you know, the Bowden Barrett issue really annoyed me where he missed so many games through injury already and then he's forced to have another week out. Um, you know, I thought we saw the Crusaders drop a game to New South Wales when, you know, a number of their marquee All Blacks were forced to have some time on the bench and, you know, ultimately the franchises and stuff can choose when those players sit out and look at certain games, but yeah, I just don't think that helps the credibility of the competition at all. Um, so, look, yeah, it, 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 it's, I've enjoyed it. I've found myself watching a lot more of it, but more because of family circumstances and two young kids who tend to hijack the television. And I don't tend to go out on a Friday or Saturday night, and clearly I'm doing a bit more work on radio, and so I am watching it. But, yeah, look, it, it's certainly not the product it once was. Okay, Mark Watson, Lavina, good with us this morning here on SENZ. On the panel, we'll take a very short break with a 10.30 news bulletin. And when we come back, I'm going to turn the tiger loose. Time to turn the tiger loose on the Warriors. Yes, Lavina, good on Matt Lodge and a couple of other issues as well. That's coming up, part two of the panel, very shortly. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Talk, talk, talk to me, yeah. 
Yeah, 10.32, part two of the panel. We've got Mark Watson, Lavina, good with us this morning. Lavina, if you could see Matt Lodge uh, face-to-face uh, right now, what would you say to him? Oh, Matt, eh? Taking off, Matt. I, I mean, I, I rated him last week as, you know, obviously one of the best forwards with Fanua Blake for the Warriors, and at least he was someone that was having a go. So the Warriors get to wave uh, goodbye to another big player that could have been impacting for the rest of the year. I'd really like to get to the bottom of what's going on with the Warriors. On on a week that they lose Matt Lodge, we find out a week later that Chanel Harris-Tavita has decided to hang his boots up for a year and take a year off travelling and writing at 23 years of age. And I think to myself, good on him if that's what he wants to do. But what's happening in a club where they blood and breed a young player as a future halfback, a sensation for them in the future, and then all of a sudden he wants to have a break from rugby league altogether, not even signing off for another club. So... There's some massive issues there for the Warriors. I, I never thought that they were going to win against the Dragons. I really didn't. Like, the effort was there. I know the effort was there, but, there, you know, you've got Jazz Tavanga, who's the littlest forward we've got, doing all the hard yards and trying to break up the middle of everything. And, and you think to yourself, where's everyone else supporting him? The fringe defence out wide was once again abysmal, and you let a rookie fullback from the Dragons run, you know, ragged around you on the outside. And for as much as they're the entertainers and they can catch and, and score a few tries, the Warriors need to shut some stuff down out wide as well. But, I mean, what do you do? do you, are you a coach that says, hey, boys, you need to make sure you do your tackles out wide? I mean, these are professional rugby league footballers that get paid really good money. So if they're not, not making those tackles, there's something going on within the culture of a club that can't beat teams, you know, under eight spot on the ladder and also lose a 23-year-old that's meant to be with the club for a very long time. So questions need to be asked of the Warriors. They're... They're not playing good enough rugby league football for themselves, for the fans, for, for anyone out there. They're certainly not doing it for their coach. They're not doing it for their captain. And I just feel as though they need to get back to the drawing board. And that drawing board started five years ago. That was the recruitment policy that Ivan Cleary got underway with the Pampers. He decided to go over there and spend half a decade creating and producing a team of young guns that are absolute sensations in this competition that all came through Western New South Wales from Orange and from Dubbo and from Bathurst that he could all secure in that Western area and not be sold to other clubs and build them for a five-year franchise and that's never been part of the Warriors plan the Warriors have never said let's win a championship or a premiership in five years time the Warriors have always said oh god I hope we make it into the top eight of a 16 man competition I hope we make it into a top eight of this competition because that's what we need to do and with that sort of attitude you'll never make your way through to the premiership and with that sort of attitude you miss tackles out wide you lose games against the Dragons and you lose 23 year old players that are meant to be with you forever so the question mark goes against the tikanga and the culture of that club and someone needs to get to the bottom of it because it's trickling down and it's making players miss tackles and not play very good rugby league at all and making fans lose respect. And just before we go to Mark on it, it's interesting. I've watched a lot of rugby this year and I've watched a whole lot more rugby league as I do. And the more rugby I've watched, I've actually thought to myself, even if you're a Warriors fan and your team's losing, the NRL is such a good competition. Like you caught that manly um, Parramatta game, you know, and it was like a two-point game. In it. And the rugby league was respectful and sensational. And even the winning and losing sides earned respect from rugby league fans. The Warriors aren't earning respect at the moment and that needs to be answered and questions need to be continued to be asked for them to put in their best performance to earn that respect back. Agree, totally agree. Uh, Mark Watson, I, I would imagine even the most even the most 
devout Warriors fan has got to be asking questions about players walking away and giving giving it away. Yeah, look, I mean, you sort of look at, you know, you, you go look and you look at the Melbourne Storm and if you were to sort of put a statement to sum up their brand, you would sort of say sort of precision, performance, no compromise. You look at the Warriors and it's sort of potential, potential, potential retirement. Um, and it just seems to have gone on year after year after year. No, no matter how many coaches we bring in, whether the team's playing permanently Australia or still playing home and away here at Mount Smart, um, you know, you've had owners coming out recently saying, hey, be patient. Um, I agree with Lavina um, 100%. You come out and the statement is, oh, we want to make the top eight. Well, that's finishing in the top half of the competition and extending your season by a week. Um, I've said this to you a number of times when I've done these panels, um, Smithy. Look, we've got to go outside of rugby league um, in terms of trying to find some answers to why this club is underperforming. Um, and, you know, in the past we've gone, look, oh, let's go and get Gus Gould. Um, it's almost like, well, why? Why? You know, I think he's yesterday's man. We, we have a similar thing here in New Zealand when often there's a major problem in sport. Let's go to John Hart, let's go to Sir Graham Henry. And I think sometimes you've got to yeah, just look at it a lot more laterally. You've got to go, hey, this is still a team. It's still about performance. Um and, you know, it's about high performance. And I think there are other industries, other people out there that I think could offer some good insight. Um, once you, What you find often when you get to elite level sport, um, from sport to sport, the, the, the common traits are the same. It's just often the terminologies and definitions are just slightly different. Um, but there's a fundamental overlying philosophy that governs high performance sport that for some reason this Warriors organisation just hasn't been able to tap into. And I've said this in the past, you know, the definition of talent is too narrow. They look at bulk, they look at size, they look at just a little bit of athleticism, but we're not testing the top two inches, we're not testing mental fortitude. Um, there's got to be a far greater definition when we, when we, when we say, hey, this player is talented. Um, because clearly these players are not that talented. Uh, they're not that good at what they do. They're getting paid a huge amount of money. And, and maybe that's the simple answer. Let's bring some jeopardy in. Hey, let's hit them in the pocket. But, yeah, I, I mean, uh, to be honest, they're actually, they're actually it's got to the point where they're actually an embarrassment and, and they're not actually doing the reputation in New Zealand sport any good. And, and someone needs to tell them that. Um, and, um, yeah, how you do it, I, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. I don't think, I still think they just believe that the signing of the next player is somehow going to provide a solution or perhaps another coach or, hey, wait until we get back home and we're playing, you know, half of our games at home and half of our games away. Well, as I said, you know, you go back to 2019, I think that was the situation. They still finished 13th. So, yeah, oh, look, I, I, yeah, I, I'm over it. I'm over it. Uh, yeah, Mark, I know where you're coming from. The signing of Sean Johnson at 31 wasn't the solution. The solution was not to lose him at 28. That was the big thing. At 28, he was going to play his best rugby league. He went off to the Sharks. That was it. So all hail the Messiahs coming home. It's not the solution for the Warriors. The signing of Dynamis Luai, who's on his fifth rugby league club now, and he's there to replace uh, Matt Lodge, who's been playing reserve grade of sorts for, you know, for feeder teams and for the NRL, that's not the solution. As you say, he's big and he has played state of origin before, but you're losing a 23-year-old kid for the future of the club that you could groom for the next five or six years that could be the Sean Johnson at 28, and you're signing off and paying, they won't even tell us how much money, 
for this kid, this guy called Luai, which is not really bringing that much to the Warriors apart from a replacement big player. It's the purchases without thinking that doesn't help the team culture that will come back to haunt the Warriors. And, and it's going to cost them a lot of money and not enough points on the table. On a totally different issue, uh, when I look at netball now, uh, Lavina, and, and the question, why do they still play in dresses when they could be in shorts and shirts? What do you make of that? It's absolutely absurd. Do you know, Bay of Plenty netball is really strong, and um, I play an indoor netball game here in the Bay, but there's lots of outside netball going on and lots of masters of coming back and playing serious netball. And they're all saying that they don't really want to wear a dress, but they have to wear a dress. They'd like to wear shorts and a shirt or shorts and a singlet. And I just think it's archaic. I think if you... I reckon if you did a survey on all of the players playing in the netball competition at the moment, would you prefer to play in a dress or would you prefer to play in singlets and a short or, a, or something more comfortable and more athletic? I reckon that survey would come back as not being the dress. But it's just something that's archaic and that has always stuck around. And I just think it seems like at a professional level for these netballers, they're as athletic as you can ever get. Like, I mean, they're phenomenal at this stage at jumping and running and doing everything they need to do in the game of netball. It just seems ridiculous to me that there's a requirement for them that they have to wear a dress because they're women. I don't Mm -hmm. get it. I think if they're playing football in shorts and a shirt or if they're playing any other sport, even in tennis now, they're moving into shorts. If it's more comfortable and you can perform better as an athlete in something more comfortable, then let's move on with it, hey? International netball might have to take a look at that one, I think. Okay, interesting issue there. Um, Mark, uh, I think a Commonwealth Games triathlon team named tomorrow. That's one of your areas of great expertise. What are you expecting out of that? Yeah, oh, look, I was pretty... um I was pretty disappointed with the team they took to the Olympic Games last year. I felt that probably three of them out of the four (laughs) probably weren't quite good enough to be called Olympians when I saw, say, maybe some of the qualifying standards for some of the other sports. And I think that ended up coming to fruition with our team finishing 11th out of about 14 or 15 teams. Um, Hayden Wild clearly is a class act. He's good enough to win the Commonwealth Games gold medal. But look at the Commonwealth Games level. Um, we've probably got a good chance of winning the medal in the team's relay because the reality is what you're up against Australia, England, Canada, South Africa are not particularly strong. So there's probably about four or five teams on the start line. And so you give ourselves a pretty good shot of picking up a medal. Um, my biggest concern with the triathlon is that in recent times, because they've had this mixed relay, um, we've and we've sort of qualified a team that we automatically pick two girls and it's the girls at the moment I think in New Zealand triathlon that are weak and the dangers of picking say a Nicole Vanderkay um, and I'm just trying to remember um, um, who the other athlete was uh, uh, because we can I think sends the wrong message what it actually says is hey you be the best athletes in New Zealand and we'll take you and I still think that when it comes to selection for Commonwealth Games and selection for the Olympic Games you've got to actually be amongst the best athletes in the world. And um, so, look, I, I, I don't blame the athletes. They're just doing what's asked of them. But I do, have a, I do have a little bit of an issue with the selection criteria and the policy that they do put in place. And there has been, I think, a perception of nepotism, particularly last year around the Olympic Games, with not the best athletes being picked. Um, so Ainsley Thorpe is the other female athlete um, mm. that will yep. be named. And, you know, everyone goes, who's Ainsley 
thought, what's she done overseas? Um, what's she done at a World Cup level? You, you go and look at the qualifying standards for athletics. I mean, you, you know, you've basically got to break the New Zealand 100 metre records established by Gus Nakisha back in 1994. If you to try and even go there to run the 100 metres, you've got to be running sort of 335 to 1500 metres just to qualify. And yet then on triathlon, hey, be the best in New Zealand and we'll take you. And I do struggle a little bit with that. Um, but look, not as much as, not as much at a Commonwealth Games level as I did last year at an Olympic Games level. You know, we, we've got to set the standards high. Um, you know, don't look at the New Zealand record book, look at the world record book. Okay, Mark Watson and Lavina, good. I thank you very much for your input on the panel this morning. Um, always uh, greatly received your, your views. Uh, we'll have another panel, of course, tomorrow morning around about the same time. Uh, two new panellists, but uh, some in-depth thought there around a number of wide-ranging issues. And Lavina Good, always very passionate uh, about um, the Warriors in particular, but uh, also not a bad difference. Uh, so I'm just trying to think of other women's sports where they still wear skirts. I think uh, hockey they might still, uh, field hockey they might, but uh, very few now that uh, where they don't wear either trousers uh, as in they do in the cricket or wear shorts, and I totally agree with you. Uh, Lavina, comfort, practicality as opposed to fashion and look uh, these days for the women. 10.45 here on SENZ. We'll be back very shortly. Making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Probably the most emotive subject uh, I think you can talk about. Uh, Warriors alongside it at the moment, of course, but uh, All Black Captain, and we've got uh, so much correspondence coming into the station on it. Uh, Jeff the Ref says, I've uh, been laying low for a couple of weeks. My hand had an argument with uh, Waratah, the metal kind. Hope you're good, Jeff. Uh, regarding who should be the All Black Captain uh, leading into the Rugby World Cup, well, the, do- the squad will be dominated by Crusaders and Blues players, so Whitelock the captain for upcoming tests and leading into the RWC matches. Uh, as well, and Dalton is the co-captain, Dalton Papali'i. Sam Kane is a worry for Jeff the Ref because uh, he's watched him close. He doesn't seem to be the same player after his head knocks. He's struggling on the field, almost looks like he hasn't recovered from those head traumas, which is a concern for he and his family. I think uh, I would still have to go Sam Whitelock at this stage. I think him and Retallick are there until the end of the World Cup. He can do the whole game or 70 minutes. A vice-captain is also needed, either Aaron Smith or Bowden Barrett. Uh, that's from Jeremy. Uh, Chaz has uh, come in uh, has and said, look, you couldn't have Scott Barrett as captain given his disciplinary record. Dodgy tackle technique. Keep in mind the refs, the red card and everything uh, at last World Cup. However, his brother Bowden would be an ideal choice. Uh, Gil- uh, Scott Barrett got Gilbert Anoka and Kerry Evans involved to sort out his head high issues. Uh, questions, do the Warriors have mental skills coaches? Do not know. We'll ask. We'll find out. But here's the thing. Um, the Scott Barrett thing, getting uh, people like Gilbert Anoka and Kerry Evans in to help him with his technique and his mental uh, approach to tackling, that, to me, is a major concern. If you can't sort out the rules of the game and the laws of the game and what the bounds are for the job that you've got to do for yourself, I wonder about the captaincy side of it. So he's not being nominated very often, to be honest. But I, I just... Uh, that, well, I couldn't believe when I read that. Now, I wouldn't want to be making that too public, actually, that you need that kind of help to work on your tackle technique. Uh, I find that very, very interesting indeed. Uh, however, we shall. Uh, uh, you don't have to be a good player to be a good coach. That's from Brenton. Uh, that's about uh, Gary Stead. Gary Stead was a fairly good player, uh, I hasten to add, uh, but he's a hell of a good international cricket coach and undoubted, in my opinion, uh, in terms of his role. 
Uh, and Hi Smithy, the Warriors need to put in a, uh, be put in a room with Sir Graham Lowe, Howie Tamati, Tawera Nico, and get motivated and start playing Kiwi Rugby League again. That from Jamie. Wonder if they've thought about that. It is coming up 10:53 here on SENZ. We'll have a visit to the TAB just before 11 o'clock. Brennan, good morning to you. But quiet on the racing front as it always is early in the week. But that doesn't mean to say there aren't plenty of options available. Uh, and the sports betting side of things is a game of rugby tonight, Super Rugby, Moana Pacifica, the force, the NBA, and, of course, the French Tennis Open is uh, up and running. Yeah, you're right, Smithy. Good morning to you. Plenty of options out there for, for punters, and certainly the NBA finals have taken centre attention uh, over the last few weeks, and what a game we've got tonight, uh, this afternoon with uh, the Boston Celtics taking on the Miami Heat, of course, 2-1 to the Heat currently. Uh, what we've seen in terms of money for this one, head-to-head, Miami Heat 330. That's quite a popular option with punters. Uh, Celtics are 131 currently, but 66% of our betting on the head-to-head has been with the Heat. But in terms of betting with winning team and margins or looking towards the point start, it has been all around Boston. Our big bets, we've seen 2,400 on Boston to cover this point start at minus 7 at $1.90. We've also seen 2,000 on the Boston Celtics at minus 12 and a half at 2.95 and 2,000 on Boston at minus nine and a half at 2.23. So there's a few power hitters coming in there, uh, Smithy, this morning around this game. It is indeed. And uh, do we know anything about the lineups? Jimmy Butler is, is up and running for the Heat. Do we know? I think so. Yeah, I was just trying to find a little bit more information around that, Smithy. But I, I think so. Uh, don't quote me on that. But we've seen some money around sort of the power plays with him. So possibly, and of course. Don't forget tomorrow, the Mavericks and the Golden State Warriors, they need to get back on the horse. The 185 favourites against the Golden State Warriors, 192. Brendan Popperwell from the TAB there with plenty of updates on the basketball this morning. Money to be made. An enthralling series, the Boston Celtics in the Miami Heat. We are going to speak to Nico Porteous after the break. Behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. And yeah, 11.03 here on SENZ. And just backing up that uh, little ad there about Polaris, they are terrific partners for us on the show. Uh, and they've got a terrific range of vehicles. They really have. I go to the website and uh, have a look. You could go to the local dealer, of course, and uh, have a look at them in person. But uh, certainly they're built to deliver off-road adrenaline, on any terrain from dunes to trails, so it must be fun, that stuff. Uh, Class-leading performance, of course. They've got innovative technology and rider-centric design. So Polaris, get down to your local dealer and have uh, a look at uh, one that perhaps suits you and your weekend activities. Uh, Talking of activities and and talking about sport, of course, as we do on the station, uh, we can now, I guess, look back at the Winter Olympics and Paralympic Games uh, they're in the rearview mirror, there's no doubt about that But what an incredible year it's been for New Zealand snow sports It's really, if it wasn't on the map, it certainly is now Very much on the map uh, What an incredible year for individuals like uh, Zoe sadowski Uh The first Kiwi to win a Winter Olympic gold medal Followed very closely after that by Nico Porteous of course Then Adam Hall and Corey Peters carried on those medal winning ways In the para events uh, right now they're together on a celebration tour up and down the country with Snow Sports New Zealand. How cool would that to be on uh, as well? Uh, look, uh, today they'll be in Oakuni if you're around the traps. Tomorrow they're in Wellington before it wraps up in Dunedin and Queenstown um, later in the week uh, on Thursday. 
Uh, well, yesterday afternoon, uh, and despite his busy schedule, uh, Nico Porteous made himself available to us, and uh, producer, our producer here, Logan Swinkles, was able to catch up with him and have a good old chin wag. There's a new athlete on top of the summit of men's free ski halfpipe. World champion in 2021, and now Olympic champion. Nico Porteous of New Zealand. Nico Porteous joins us now on SNZ Mornings. Hey mate, thanks for taking the time to chat with us. First of all, just how good is it to be home? Yeah, oh, first off, um, thank you very much and, and uh, cheers for having me on the show. And Yeah, it's pretty nice to be home. Uh, to be honest, I've actually been home for about three months now. Sort of snuck back into the country uh, at the <laughs> end of March. So um, that was pretty nice just to come back and, and, and just chill out with, with um, friends and family. Yeah, I guess it would be pretty special that you kind of get to enjoy all of that, you know, just with your friends and family alone before, I guess, all the chaos that ensues now of you uh, being out there with the people, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's, um, yeah, it's pretty hectic, but of course, it's, it's a good hectic, you know, the amount of support that we've received from the um, community and, um, you know, Wanaka and New Zealand White has been pretty incredible, um, you know, as a, as a whole, Snowsport's had the best season on record and, and um, yeah, I think support for for snow sports within New Zealand para and Olympic is is at an all time high. So yeah, it's really really special. Speaking of that uh, Wanaka medal parade, you know, it feels like it has been a long time long time coming. You know, for you to be able to celebrate that success of yourself and also your fellow Olympians and Paralympians, what's it like uh, for you being able to relive all of this again? You know, with the people of New Zealand. Yeah, it's it's really really unique and and special. Um, you know, it's. It's something that, um, you know, only comes around, around every four years and, and then to be able to celebrate it twice, um, you know, once in the Olympics and then, and then um, you know, on this tour and, and sharing it with everyone back home is, is really cool. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's an amazing opportunity and, and um, it's really cool to see the support and, and I think we're all pretty um, over, over the moon with, with yeah, how much support we've received from, from everybody. Yeah, you know, I saw this one kid on the news on Sunday night saying how cool it was that he got to meet his heroes. Has it sunk in for you yet that that the hero tag is something that kids around New Zealand see you as now? Oh, um, not really, to be honest. But yeah, it, it, it's pretty crazy. Um, like, yeah, I mean, I remember being a being a little kid and and looking up to the Wales boys in, in New Zealand and and sort of them being my my hero. Um, but yeah. Uh, you know, now to, to have that that role is is um, it's it's a it's a big job, and I hope that I can I can do those kids proud and and um, be a good role model for them, and and um, yeah, do do uh, do some more good things, hopefully. I mean, judging by the smiles on the faces we saw on, on TV, mate, I'm sure you're doing a pretty good job. Cheers, <laughs> yeah. yes, thank you. With this, you know, the celebration tour you're on at the moment with Snow Sports New Zealand, you know, you're making your way. Uh, down to Alcuni and Wellington before finishing up in Dunedin and uh, Queenstown on the 26th. What's what's one thing you've been looking forward to the most about going on this little tour? Yeah, I think just sort of soaking up the environment, really, um, and soaking up, you know, that atmosphere and, and um, the, the um, I, I guess the biggest thing is the pride, the sense of pride, you know, mm. and, and being a Kiwi and being a New Zealander that you get from going on things like this and seeing the support from... Um, from the public and, and your supporters and uh, 
that's something that's really really special and, and you don't get to see very often so that's that's definitely been a big um yeah sort of uh look well you know um yeah i've been really looking forward to, to that part of it yeah i mean given you know this with the sport that you're in you are away from home a lot you know overseas competing when you are like what's something you miss the most about new zealand ah oh, um to be honest i just miss my own bed and, and being around my family and, and um, you know, mum, dad, the dog and, and just being in one place for more than more than uh, two or three weeks is, is quite nice. Uh, it's getting up at home and, and being around sort of family environment that um, that has sort of become a thing um, around, around uh, Wanaka, which is pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, I just really enjoy uh, uh, being at home, you know, spending a lot of time on the road. I, I like um I, I like to think I'm a bit of a homebody and, and being around uh mum and dad and, and the dog and, and just hanging out. Love that. I feel that mate. What what are your plans while you are at home? Um so uh unfortunately I've actually blown my ACL. Mm. Uh so in March, uh three weeks after the Olympics, that's why I came home a bit early, um earlier than, than I had planned is uh yeah, I had to come home and get surgery on that. So um, I underwent surgery two months ago. Uh, to, oh, two months ago today, actually. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, all things are going well, and it's it's going to be a nine-month process. Um, so hopefully we'll be back on the skis in uh, January next year. So it's a it's a wee while away, but uh, it gives me time to focus on some other things and, and um, yeah, really put a lot of energy into rehab. Yes, I remember you doing that post on April 23rd. That must be scary going under the knife like that, but obviously things are tracking well for you to still hit that January mark. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, things are going really well, um, and I'm actually off to Europe on the, on the weekend and um, to go and do some rehab over in Austria uh, at the Red Bull Performance Centre, which is a uh, athlete-specific facility that they offer um, their their athletes, which is just a complete um, custom-tailored, state-of-the-art rehab centre uh, for rehabbing injuries. So that's an amazing opportunity, and um, very fortunate to have uh, the likes of Red Bull alongside um, me supporting supporting me as an athlete um but in saying that you know high performance sport are a massive part of my rehab and, and my skiing career and so they they give me um amazing facilities down in Monaco with the gym and, and um you know full-time physio and, and and strength conditioning coach as well and so those guys are amazing and and uh, yeah I've got a really good team around me uh what about your brother Miguel what's he been up to uh since the Winter Olympics so Miguel spent um, – he stayed on in Europe after I had to leave to get surgery, and so he ended up staying until the end of April. And um, – or, yeah, sorry, no, the end of, end of March. And um, he has currently um, – well, he's just hopped on a flight to head up to Indonesia for six, six weeks and travel around on a scooter, um, staying at Backpackers Surfing. Um, he's a big surfer, and so he's just going to go chase the waves and, and the sun for a bit. Oh, that sounds sick. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty. He's he's a he's a very um, adventurous soul, and so he's gone over there with no plan, and and um, yeah, he's just gonna go and and explore, which is really cool. I love it. it's almost like the complete opposite of you. You being the homebody, and he's the one that wants to go out and explore like that. That's yeah. I mean, we definitely both have that that exploration side of us, but um, I think just at the moment, you know, with what's what's been going on for the past four or five years and, and sort of forced to be a homebody at the minute. Um, mm. Yeah. I mean, I would love to be in Indonesia, but that's just the way it is. It's where the cookie crumbles, you know? Yeah, totally. Hey, uh, you know, becoming an Olympic gold medalist leads me also like that's something most of us will only ever dream about. So what, what about for you? What are some career goals you're hoping to achieve in the sport now? 
Yeah. Um, oh, I guess that's a that's a uh, a question I'm yet to really uh, answer myself. To be honest, um, I guess that's the beauty of having these nine months is to decide those sort of questions and figure out what path I'm going to take over the next sort of half of my career. And um, definitely going to keep my head down and, and continue on the competitive side of things and hopefully competed a few more X Games and another Olympics at least. And, um, yeah, and, and you yeah, know, always striving to, to scare my best and, and to achieve the best I can. And um, I guess all I have to really worry about now is the task in front of me and that's, and that's rehab and getting back to snow. You know, with your success, you know, it, it often seems to coincide with uh, Zoe Sadowski Center on the Olympic stage. Yeah. So how would you best describe the bond between you two when you get to share in those incredible sporting moments together? Yeah, it's um, it's pretty special. You know, um, we're both uh, the same age and, and um, oh, she's actually six months older than me. But, um, yeah, we're, to, just to share those sort of moments, both first for us and, and first in New Zealand is it's pretty special, um, and, and, and it definitely, um, you know, we're really, really good mates, and, and we have a great time on tour, and, um, you know, I draw a lot of inspiration from her. She's an incredible athlete, and, um, yeah, she's, yeah, very, very inspiring to watch, and um, it's always a pleasure to uh, be able to draw energy from her success and, and um, try and at least put it into my performance. Yeah, we're a few months on now from the Beijing Olympics. Have you looked back much on your runs there? Yeah, I did a lot of reflecting, um, and that's some, something that I've been up to. There must be a time is, is just reflecting on the past and, and the events that have happened, um, you know, including the run and, and talking about with my coach and support staff of what went right and what went wrong. Uh, it's all part of the process of, you know, even even when things go perfectly, there's still things to be learned um, going forward. And so it's about, uh, you know, breaking down those moments and, and thinking about that run of, of what went well and what didn't and, and uh, learning from that and, and taking that forward into the, um, you know, into future competitions. Uh, the one thing I remember the most about that final, aside from you winning, was just how windy it was. Do you train for those yeah. sort of uh, conditions? Well, no, to be honest, those sort of conditions that we would normally go home in because, um, you know, maybe we should start training more in those conditions. But no, those are um, extremely con- dangerous conditions. And, and um, you know, unfortunately, there was a time frame and TV schedule sort of thing that we couldn't um, run the event at any other time. And the weather was looking just as bad the next day. And so, um, unfortunately, we couldn't move the event. And that was just the hand that we were dealt. And sometimes you have to deal with it. And, and um, sometimes uh, you don't, and and it's all about just being flexible and and um, yeah, having having those options so that you can do do the best run you can in those uh, not so good conditions. Are you are you buoyed by you know how quickly free ski halfpipe has become popular since like into into the Winter Olympics in Sochi? Just it from there, it just seems like it's really blown up. Yeah, it's incredible to see and be part of a sport that's um, you know constantly growing. Um, and and yeah, to be to be a part of that is, is pretty special. You know, there's definitely that sort of vibe, um, you know, among fellow competitors and friends. That you know what we're doing and what we're able to do as a as our job per se uh, is is pretty uh, special. And and we're all very lucky and fortunate. And I think that sort of shows in in how we train and um, you know really take advantage of opportunities that come our way. You mentioned before, you know, you've had a lot of time to reflect and and look back on, you know, what you achieved in Beijing. You know, in terms of developing your technique and style that comes with the halfpipe, just how far do you think you can push yourself? Mm, that's a, I mean, again, that question I'm asking myself at the minute. Um, 
yeah, I, I'm not sure. I haven't really put too much thought in it, you know, because it's such a long process. I've pretty much removed myself from the skiing side of things and understood that, you know, nine months is, is a long time and that you can't be thinking about skiing for that long. Otherwise, you'll just return and you'll just be, you know, burnt out. So I haven't really put much thought in, but I think when it comes closer to the time, I'll, I'll start thinking about it more. I guess that's one thing that's kind of been, you know, at the forefront a lot uh, in recent times, the sort of, you know, looking after your mental health and stuff like that, you know, you mentioned yeah. sort of like burnout. What, what do you do to sort of look after yourself? I just make sure that I have a, a, a balance of, um, you know, of training really hard and, and um, like I said, taking advantage of those opportunities, training opportunities uh, specifically that come your way and uh, making the most of those environments. But then also knowing when it's, um, you know, time to let the hair down and, and um, you know, periodizing training really helps that and uh, having our hobbies, you know, surfing can go, um, yeah, you know, clear the head in the water and or, you know, go for a skate or a mountain bike. And, um, yeah, I, I just think that's a massive thing for me is finding that balance between, uh, the work-life balance sort of thing. Not that skiing and and half-pipe skiing. Um, I, I don't, you know, it's my passion. I wouldn't really consider it a job. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just what I love doing. So yeah. Uh, I mean, if, even if it is a job, man, it's a pretty cool job. Uh, yeah, yeah, when, yeah, exactly. When you, you know, because when you do look back at that experience at the Beijing Olympics, just how was it for you being your second time around? Yeah, it was a lot different. Um, it was a lot different in the fact that I had. Um, I, I felt like I had a bit more pressure on myself. Um, you know, being second games, I, I knew what to expect, which was nice and helped me deal with that sort of pressure. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was a, definitely a learning experience for sure, and I'm excited to see how it feels going to a, hopefully going to a third games um, because I, I tend to learn things each time um, and, and deal with things in different ways. And and you know, you'd be reminded of certain things that you maybe forgot about at the last games or. Yeah, just sort of things, things, just little things that you may sort of pass up on. Um, yeah, definitely a big learning process. Now, just just lastly from me, Nico, uh, all going well with your rehab. Uh, what what does twenty twenty three potentially look like for you? Or oh, um, hopefully we'll be back on the skis for X Games in January, uh, and then we also have World Champs uh, at the end of that season in Georgia, which will be exciting. Um, so yeah, hopefully I can get back to competing and and um, yeah, be be back um, back doing what I love and and skiing in the half pipe. Awesome, awesome, Nico. Thanks so much for your time, mate. Uh, really yeah, great to, that you ha- get to have this opportunity to I guess share in your success with New Zealand and uh, you just all the best for the rehab, mate. Uh, cheers. Thanks very much for having me. New Zealand for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 11.24 here on SENZ and uh, Dale has come in with his favourite jockeys. Not so much the greatest jockeys and that's been our Mount, Mush- uh, Mount Rushmore subject of the day on double eight double three. Uh, yep, uh, greatest jockeys of all time, I think. But you can put your favourite ones in as well. Uh, and Dale has come in with Opie Bosson, Lance O'Sullivan, Jay Money Mac, James McDonald, of course, and Sam Spratt. So uh, all Kiwis there. Uh, and, uh, you know, I must admit, when I thought about doing this one, uh, I, I did kind of think uh, New Zealand jockeys would be to the fore in it. And then you do your homework on the whole thing and you just wonder how many of them do actually fit into the greatest bracket of all time when you look around the world of racing. The world of racing, of course, is a, a massive global uh, entity. 
uh, and then you do your facts and figures and, and you Google around a wee bit and, and start to look at the careers of some of the great jockeys over the years. Um, Kieran Fallon, Tony McCoy, uh, someone has come in. Well, Tony McCoy, the greatest jumps jockey in history. There's no doubt about that, Sir Tony McCoy. Uh, Kieran Fallon, of course, uh, British jockey as well. Uh, had a bit of trouble with the gendarmeries, I think, at one point, Kieran Fallon. Uh, but he is uh, certainly in there as well. But uh, we'll uh, isolate those out and do our top four around about 11.40 this morning. That'll be just after Stump Smithy coming up very shortly as well. Uh, texts that have uh, come in uh, uh, for Lavina. people listening to Lavina love her point of view. Vaughan has said, come on, Lavina, they've signed Louis because we've just lost our two starting props. Uh, Chanel is still there this year, but he's, he's not really. I mean, it might be there in spirit, but he's, uh, he's uh, not really there, Vaughan. I mean, uh, to be fair, he's just given the game away for a while and uh, if that's his mindset you, do you want him around the joint anyway and, and uh, I I don't know about him he's young enough to rethink it that's the good news absolutely young enough to, to rethink the whole deal and, and just take time out and that's what people do these days they are taking time out of sport um, and, and just reassessing where they are with what they want to do with their lives etc and if they find out in the end that's what they wanted to do in the first place are they young enough to go back to it? And we're seeing that, just not with women, we're seeing that with men as well across the board. Pete has come in and said, uh, Sean Johnson at 28 was getting paid way too much for the way he was performing. He was handicapping them on the field and salary-wise off it. So Pete, not a Sean Johnson fan at all, I think it's fair to say. Uh, Charlie has come in and said, quick uh, Googling there, Brenton, regarding an, extra, an earlier text, uh, Adi Savia has to be captain. Uh, in Charlie's opinion, he is the William Wallace of rugby. Braveheart, follow me. I think it's a fair point too. He is one of those players that you just want to follow. John sent a text in around 9.30 this morning, John, and I've been thinking about it. Uh, Smithy, what's the chance of New Zealand making the World Test Championship final again, if any, and Australia still don't rate us as a cricket nation? Why? Uh, well, one of the reasons why they don't... No, they do rate us as a cricket nation, John. They, they do. Uh, but you've just, uh, you know, you've got to go there and play well against them in their backyard. And we haven't done that for a long period of time now, not since uh, Ross Taylor won a test match as captain uh, against Australia in Hobart. Have we won on their soil? The last time we went there with high expectations and thousands and thousands of people going across for the Boxing Day test to celebrate, we were miserable. We were awful. Didn't really even take part in that series. There were moments uh, where we did and there were great periods of time where we just didn't go to the races, it just wasn't fair. So that's why at times they don't rate us too much, and often on the big occasions we fall over to them. Not like in rugby where we beat them in the big occasions, we fall over to them in cricket, we fell over to them in the T20 World Cup final, 2015 uh, white ball final uh, for 50 over cricket, we fell over against them then as well. As far as the Test Championship goes this time around, we have got our work seriously cut out to get into that. We have to win at least two test matches against England. Not saying we can't, um, but I would be thinking that's going to be a tough thing to do on English soil. Um, once we get adjusted to it, uh, we, we really do have to win the first one. Uh, if you go one nil down in the series, you're not going to win the next two. Uh, not as England get growing confidence. And that's the thing that New Zealand have got to guard against in this series. Making sure they get off to a ripper of a start at Lords and make sure that Ben Stokes and Brendan McCullum are on the back foot in their thinking, not on the front foot. Give them a sniff. We have to win at least two there. When we come home, we cannot afford to lose on our home soil again, as we did this cricket season. That was a pretty poor performance. And losing to Bangladesh, not many sides will lose to Bangladesh 
on their own soil. In other words, you can go to Bangladesh and Dhaka, uh, Chittagong and those places, and you're under pressure because of the conditions and the heat, etc. And it's tough to win over there. But when they come to your neck of the woods, you just don't lose. And so our loss to them at uh, the Bay Oval, uh, just in the, the previous summer that we've just had, was very damaging in terms of our chances of getting through to the World Test Championship final. We will have to have a miraculous period of time in the next 12 months. Not saying we can't, but I am thinking that uh, that uh, that would have to be uh, something that, that really does have to come to fruition. A terrific series coming up beginning June the 2nd at Laws. And of course, uh, you'll be able to listen to that here on SENZ. We will have commentary uh, for that throughout the night. First test beginning on June the 2nd at Lords, June the 10th at Trent Bridge, June the 23rd at uh, Headingley. All stadiums where New Zealand have won test matches in the past. Broadcasting team consists of uh, Adam Collins, who'll be leading the commentary team, award-winning broadcaster, along with Jeremy Coney, Daniel Norcross, Nikesh Ragani, Craig McMillan. They'll all be over there bringing their updates uh, with a bird's eye view down the ground there, and you do get some great ones from the commentary boxes. Uh, Sam has come in and said, Smithy, I think the Warriors should sack every player on the spot that doesn't want to come and live in New Zealand, even if it means filling the, the squad with second-grade players. I would rather come last than have people that try their heart out each week than have people that play for us for a paycheck and don't care about the jersey. George and Brown need to go for letting this, this madness happen. Uh, we need to change the culture as soon as possible and stop using COVID as an excuse. I'm sick of that. COVID word, uh, using them as an excuse, Sam, there's no doubt about that. Uh, and uh, you know, I think you're dead right. And uh, Andrew Voss was, was very, very hot on this yesterday. Uh, how can you sign for a franchise uh, thinking that you're not going to have to go away back to New Zealand at some stage, particularly a New Zealand franchise? How can you th- uh, even think about that and think that you, you, know, you don't have to bother with the travel side of things and, and having to spend great periods of time in New Zealand? How can you sign for a New Zealand franchise thinking of that? Uh, unless you're a crystal ball gazer and you can see there's another virus around the corner. I'm not sure Matt Lodge has got those qualities. It's 11.32 here on SENZ, and it's time for you to light up the lines. 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. And it's time to stump Smithy. You will get, of course, 50 bucks in vouchers from the TAV. And if you get question three right, you'll get, uh, of course, the sleep drops as well. Good luck to you. In the meantime, here's Aroa. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. All right, it's time to pad up and grab your bat because it is stumped on SCNZ Mornings with... Ian Smith up for grabs today is the $50 TAB bonus bet plus some sleep drops daytime revive. They are New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. Uh, Smithy, joining us first at the crease, we have Reed from Gore. Come in, mate. G'day, team. How are we getting on today? Yeah, we're going good, Reed, and a very experienced opening batsman, Reed from Gore. I'm led to believe he's been well. You've been with this station since day one. Uh, as a correspondent, which we greatly appreciate, Reid. So uh, we're going to give you the first opportunity today to take strike. So what are our subjects today, please, Logan? Uh, For us today, we have Rugby League, Formula One and Soccer Football. Take your pick, Reid. Yeah, I'll go Rugby League, please. All right. Great topic to always talk about. Here we go. First question for you, Reid. 
The Dallium Medal is awarded each year to the player voted the best over the NRL season. What does the M stand for? Oh, Dallium. Jesus. Oh. Um, oh, I'm just going to have to say. Now, yeah, I'm going to have to bloody pass on that, actually. All right, you're passing it off to Smithy. Over to you, mate. No idea. I just, I mean, I just, just one of those, it's like one of those great sayings, you're just so used to it. I mean, <sighs> daily M, daily, daily M, daily, daily M, daily, uh, Martin, Martin, M for Martin. One of the worst things I have ever Thank seen you. done on a cricket field. <laughs> Thanks, Richie. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, yes, no, the correct answer is messenger. In honour of rugby league great oh, Herbert Henry Daly Messenger. So, yeah. hey, you're still alive, Reed. Second question for you: What year was Ruben Wiki inducted into the NRL's Hall of Fame? Oh, I'm gonna say 2005. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. You're up, Smithy. I think he got abducted this year, didn't he, or last year? It was one of the. It was either this year or last year. I remember seeing him do, um, or maybe that was just the Canberra Raiders Hall of Fame because they did a. He led a harker for Quentin Pongia, uh, recently deceased, of course, in the last couple of years. So, uh, a great Canberra Raider. And I just wonder. Um, I'll go. Um, how long has he been out of the game? You've got to be out of the game for a while. I'll go 2019. That's a couple of chips down the wicket. Oh, right in the slot, and away it goes. There you go. Back to the pavilion. You go read. Yes, the correct answer was 2019. So up next, we have Kevin from Cambridge. Come in, mate. How you going, guys? Yeah, going good. Yeah, good, Kev. How are you? You only have to get one, mate. One, you'll get uh, one uh, on the rugby league. And if you get one, you'll get the sleep drops and the money, mate. Good luck. Well, you, you did your, you jigged your one for the day then, so I was pretty confident. <laughs> I did. Absolute pluck on out of the air there. All right. All on the line here. Mal Meninga was named the 13th Immortal in 2018. We know him for his achievements with the Canberra Raiders, but which England club did he play for? Oh. Oh, Meninga. St. Helens? I... Oh, there it is. There it is. St. Helens back in the back in the eighties, nineteen eighty-four to eighty-five season, scored twenty-eight tries in thirty-one games. So there you go, Kevin, you've won the fifty dollar TAB bonus bet and the sleep drops. What do you think you might put that fifty dollars on? I'm gonna save it for live betting on super rugby final between the Blues and the Crusaders. Wow. Good during man. The game. Good man. You get, okay, so that's your late during the game. That's that's a good option, actually, and that'll be probably in around about, what, three weeks' oh, no. time. So that no, is good. No. You've got to, Why? No, you've got to use it. Well, you've got to use it within seven days, I think. Oh, do you? I didn't realise that. Ah, oh, okay. It's a qualification of winning it. Yeah. So they want their, They give it to you and they want it back real quick. I, I guess that's the way it goes. Exactly. Um, <laughs> hey, Ke- yeah. re- regardless, Kev, 
Maybe some live betting on a game this weekend, Kev. Uh, or even tonight, Moana Pacifica yep. against the Western Force tonight. Uh, 11.39 here, uh, just down the line, Kev. And um, Brian will get your details. Congratulations, mate. We'll have another one, of course, at 11.32 tomorrow morning. In the meantime, we've got uh, our little Mount Rushmore coming up. Greatest jockeys of all time. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Well, Jimi Hendrix uh, plays uh, that uh, instrumentally, of course, that is the Star Spangled Banner, and uh, instrumentally we couldn't uh, have anything to do with racing without inviting Louis Herman Watt to have a say, and so our subject today has been four greatest jockeys of all time. Some people have texted in their four favourite. Uh, Louis Herman Watt, uh, good morning again to you. We really had to have you on on this one because it's such a far-reaching subject, Louis. Um, so um, let's, let's kick off with your, perhaps your number four. Yep, Smithy, morning to you, and you're right, you could take this any which way. I don't really know exactly the parameters we were working in, but being a patriot, um, well, kind of, I've decided that I'd stay down in New Zealand and Australia, um, and there are a a huge amount of shout-outs that you could do, like obviously the Skelton brothers, Noel Harris, David Walsh, Mickey Coleman, so I don't want to upset anyone, but number four... I'm going to start off with a bang and an Australian, and they literally call him the goat. And I don't know if there's anyone would rather have riding for a group one still after decades in the saddle than Damien Oliver, mate. I mean, he's won over 120, I think it's close to 130 group ones, Cox Plates, Melbourne Cups. Um, coming through the pack from last on the turn, D Oliver is who you'd like. And back behind them is Beekeeper, distinctly secret, fantastic. But Damien Oliver riding with the spirit of Jason out by three on Media Puzzle. I think he's got the cut one. Beekeeper, Mr. Prudenter running on from Benny Ray, but it's Media Puzzle clear. And Media Puzzle, Damien and Dermot have done it. Yeah, incredible. Uh, I remember the scenes there when he rode that, the, the tears uh, r- all around Flemington uh, that afternoon. Uh, that was a really poignant, poignant moment, Damien Oliver. Uh, on Media Puzzle. Well, I, I'm going overseas a bit further, actually, because uh, I've, I've gone for my number four, who is a bloke I had heard of before, but I hadn't really realised just uh, how big an impact he'd had racing way back. And, of course, racing's quite an old industry, Louis, as you know well. This fellow's Panamanian-born. He dominated the 70s. Get this. Lavit Pinkay Jr. had career wins consisting of 9,530 winners. 9,530 winners. Back in the 70s, uh, he was able to accumulate stakes of 237 plus million US dollars. Seven-time champion jockey. My number four is Lafitte Pinkay Jr. 316 to go. Pink Eye still got the head in front with Irish Nip. Laps and bounds about to drop off, but Quiet One represents big danger on the outside. Past the eight pole, Irish Nip still a length in front. Pink Eye gets a whiff of immortality as Irish Nip is finding plenty on the lead. Responding to the Pink Guy power, it's Irish Nip surging clear in the history of Hollywood Park as Lafitte Pink Eye Jr. becomes the world's all-time winningest jockey. 
<laughs> Great to hear those hoofbeats in the background there as well. So some old commentary there from a jockey who really did achieve. So that's my number four. Louis, how about your number three? All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, I'll get through these. I've got three Kiwis, Smithy, because we we do really have to pump up our own. This guy may be the most professional jockey and winningest really that we've had. He's a New Zealand Sport Hall of Famer. He's a Racing Hall of Famer. Lance O'Sullivan, uh, a champion jockey, twelve mm. times. Look, six wins on a day on five occasions. He just did it for so long throughout the decades. And do you know why he gets on this Mount Rushmore? Because of what he did overseas. The Cox played on Surfers Paradise, the uh, the second place on Waverly Star, and Horlicks in the Japan Cup. Can you imagine if a Kiwi jockey and a Kiwi horse won the Japan Cup nowadays? Mm, Lance O'Sullivan, fantastic. 300 metres to go, Horlick's got the lead now, Regal City sticking to it on the inside grimly, Highland Chieftain on the outside of these, Horlick's goes to Westminster coming out after it, Regal City, Westminster might have got the lead, Horlick's is fighting hard, Westminster, Regal City's not done with yet, Horlick's a great go, Regal City and Westminster, Horlick's got a nose in front, she won it. Okay, so uh, that was Keith Hobb there with that commentary on Horlicks and, of course, in the saddle there, Lance O'Sullivan. My, my number three, I'm uh, sticking overseas, but I'm changing from the United States to the United Kingdom. Italian-born, this fellow. I think he has got a New Zealand connection by marriage. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, 3,000 um, uh, winners, 3,000 winners, over uh, 100, uh, 155 million pounds in stakes, over 250 Group 1 winners. Uh, flying dismounts, of course, uh, it is Frankie de Tori. Also, six pre de l'Arc de Triomphe, Louis. So, Frankie de Tori is my number three. How do you go with your number two? Uh, well, it's the best Kiwi racing story ever, still. Pumper Cassidy. Come on, play it. Mr. Jazz on the outside, Noble Comment, the centre, Kiyomare, no peer running on, Noble Comment on the inside and Mr. Jazz, Noble Comment takes the lead, Kiwi, Kiwi will beat them all, it's come from last, Kiwi, Kiwi's won the Melbourne Cup, a blistering performance, Kiwi coming from second last. Okay, I'll run with that, absolutely run with that because that was a moment in racing that New Zealand fans will never forget, Kiwi winning the Melbourne Cup 1983. Uh, okay, here's my number uh, two, Louis, um, and that is uh, Lester Piggott. A lot of people texted and said Lester Piggott this morning, actually. 4,493 winners, 11-times flat jockey champion in the UK, 30 British Classic winners, the most derbies winner, Epson Derby winners of all time, number nine. Uh, 1987, he blotted his copybook. He th- spent three years in the slammer for tax fraud. Tax fraud. He lost his OBE. Um, as a, a result of that. But he also, of course, came to New Zealand and he won the derby, and I think he won it on Abishane, um, going with, <laughs> testing my memory here a wee bit there. But uh, for me, uh, Lester Piggott is uh, my number two. So I think we're just going to go straight to our number ones here. We're running out of time, and that is my fault. Uh, who's your number one, mate? J-Mac? Uh, well, <laughs> So the reason I haven't gone for J Mac is because I think he's got half of his life achievements to come. So he doesn't he doesn't right. need to go on here yet. He'll be on there in twenty years. It's Owen Patrick Bosson. He won the Grand Slam. He's finally Ooh. done it. Every group won in New Zealand. Opie has won Smithy, and uh, there's no one I'd rather have riding for my life. Tiako Shark is circling wide out but still four off them. Dreamforce just in front from Happy Clapper. Very elegant. Wide out Tiako Shark. The Shark's coming for the kill. Tiako Shark right over the top. Good up to win it from Very Elegant.
Absolutely right. Uh, Owen, Owen Patrick Bosson, plotted only by his ride uh, in the last Caraca uh, three-year-old million race on, on the bubbles. <laughs> but we won't mention that too loud. We won't mention, we won't mention that too loud. <laughs> anyway, Louis, here's, <laughs> here's, here's, here's uh, my number one, okay? This guy's uh, name is Bill Shoemaker. Well, one of the greatest um, names in sport, actually, in the United States. He rode uh, professionally as a jockey for 41 years, Bill Shoemaker. Uh, he went, rode 8,883 winners. He won over 123 plus million in stakes, 11 triple crowd winners, career strike rate of 21%. That's every five times he hopped on a horse at one, all right? A career strike rate of 21%. Um, and he won the 1978 Triple Crown on one horse called Affirmed. And then he turned his attention to training as well. Without doubt, and a lot of people say this around the world, the greatest of all time, Bill Shoemaker. Hartak led the field most of the way, followed by Tad Atkinson on Chit Chat. But watch Tony Dispirito and Sam Slick drive to the front with a surge that seemed to spell certain victory. Until along the outside, Willie Shoemaker and Tender Morsel sweep up from nowhere to win this coveted event. Here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um, occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.